if you gave that answer and said, well, here's the biggest risks that we're not yet mitigating or we're slowly mitigating because like we're willing to tolerate it, but not for much longer. You're going to have board members who are going to say, well, I need to see a timeline for when that's going to be fixed in the next 12 months. The CEO is going to pressure you to half-ass a solution just to get it rolled out so you can claim this one's fixed. And now the board doesn't actually know where your risk tolerance level is as a business. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Andy Ellis, advisory CISO at Orca Security, Wild Ventures operating partner, former CISO at Akamai. He's a CISO about town and, in fact, a CISO about the globe. He's with me today talking about board reporting metrics. I invited Andy back to the show for two reasons. One, Andy and I can literally sit and talk about anything for a long time. And two, Andy always has a unique perspective on the fundamentals of cyber that tend to shock my brain and get me thinking. You may recall his last show, where he outlined an insanely clever bag of tricks of innovative, non-traditional hiring practices. So today, Andy and I are diving into board reporting metrics, and we're having a blast with it. Andy, thank you so much for coming on back to the ranch. Alan, thanks for having me. I always love hanging out on the ranch. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right. So why don't you, uh, for our listeners that didn't catch it last time, give us just a brief bit about your background in cyber and a little bit about your day job. Well, it starts in the last millennium, which I've discovered is just a fun thing to say. Uh, I started in cyber in the United States Air Force doing information warfare for Central Command, then went to Akamai, where I spent 20 years, that's right, two zero, uh, doing everything from system hardening all the way up to being the CISO, got four patents to show for my time there. So some you know experience in a number of different things, including having to hire a team, 95 people, report to the board, you name it. Today, I'm an operating partner at YL Ventures, where, you know, if you're not familiar with YL, it's a Israeli-focused cybersecurity seed venture uh, startup fund. So we invest in, you know, three to four companies a year. We just raised an entirely new fund. So YL V5 is now in the books. We're really excited about that. That's going to help us continue to, you know, nurture companies and build them up. Right on. I'm also the advisory CISO at Orca Security, which is a blast. For those of you not familiar with Orca, and I promise I'm not doing an ad for them, Cloud Native Application Protection Platform lets you know what's going on in your cloud and whether or not you've got the right security. You know, those are my, my two primary day jobs, and I'm writing a book. And between when we record this and when this gets published, I will have shipped the manuscript to my editor. Oh, fancy that. So very excited about that coming up. All right. That sounds great, man. So the book so, is on leadership, by the way. So everybody who wants to learn leadership tricks, this is the book for you. Oh, there we go. No humility there. I promise this will be the best leadership book you have ever read. Wow. Bold claims. We're going to have to get a copy and check it out. We'll, we'll even do a review on the podcast. It'll be a scathing review. Oh, sounds awesome. <laughs> All right. So you and I both read an article recently in CSO Online, uh, or I should say on CSO Online, whatever that is. It's a website. It was about board metrics reporting. And I think some of its premises were sound, but not necessarily its conclusions. And I'm honestly not even 100% sure I'm with all the premises. But I thought we could go through it and deconstruct it together since I know you've got some even more different and interesting takes on metrics than I do. Yep. And so just just for fair, full disclosure, I didn't list in my bios. I am also a contributing writer. I have an op-ed column at CSO Online, but I'm not actually acting in that capacity. But I do want to disclose that the straight-up security column over on CSO Online is one I write. So I hope I don't get in trouble for fisking one of our own articles. There you go. So the first premise that's brought up, he says there are five questions that the board wants answered. The first question is, are we secure? No. The second question is, are we compliant? Okay, maybe. The third question is, have we had any significant incidents? Who knows? How effective is our security program, which he says is a quality statement? But not at all. And how efficient is our security program, which he says is a quantity statement? It pisses away a lot of money. <laughs> so speak for your own security program. <laughs> I read these questions and they sound so good. They're like this lovely pablum. But let's take a step back and ask the question, what is the role of the board 
in governing a company. And I think most security professionals don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot, Alan, but I'm going to ask you, because you've been at the C-level, what is the role of a board in a company? A publicly traded one, especially. A a publicly traded company, it's fiduciary responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's responsibility to shareholders. Is to do what? Is to ensure that the oversight and the governance are what they say they are. Yep. That's one. It has a second one, too. It's an important one everybody forgets. All right. What's the second one? To ensure that there is a succession plan for the CEO. Oh, yes. There you go. Fair enough. Right. So first hint, if you can tell that if a board is not doing the job on the first one of ensuring that governance and oversight is adequate, is if there's no obvious CEO succession plan, they're probably also not doing good oversight and governance. That's You know, I had never thought of that one as the litmus test, but I'll take that. I'll say that. It's your brown M&M. There you go. Everyone yes. knows, you, you know the brown oh, M&M everyone, story. I think everyone knows the brown M&M story, but if not, it was uh, Led Zeppelin, right? No, Van Halen. Van Halen. Okay, they used to go and book stadiums, and they would yep. leave instructions for the staff at the stadium they landed in, and you know, in the uh, in the stars guest room there, they wanted a yep. bowl of M&Ms with no brown M&Ms included. And the exactly. only reason they did this was to see if anybody bothered to read the details to make sure that they got the big things right. If they showed yep. up and there were no brown M&Ms in the bowl, then they knew their stage had been constructed properly, the speakers were hung properly, and all the other safety things were met. It was a litmus test. Right. And, that, and it enabled them to be one of the first major bands to play second-tier venues because this let them find out if the venue knew what they were doing. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. So that first question, are we secure? In my mind, if the board is asking you, are we secure, we have two problems. One is the board doesn't know what they're doing. And two is you haven't trained them on what questions they should be asking you as the CISO. And now I think there is a serious problem and a a train wreck that's about to happen, which is every board has been told that you need to care about cybersecurity. They all got told about the NIST cybersecurity framework, and that's going to be a disaster in its own right because it is way too detailed for a board. But they are asking questions like these in a lot of cases. Yep. But the CEO does not want honest answers to these questions set in front of the board. No, ever. Because the board needs to know, is there effective governance? And if you say, well, are we secure? There is no good answer to this word. Like, what does secure even mean? If you say yes, and there's a breach, like you lied to the board. If you say no, what is the board going to do now? They're going to panic. Oh, my God, we're not secure. How do you have good governance, CEO? So by you saying, no, we're not secure, the you're basically saying that the CEO is not doing a good job of running the company. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And so the challenge for me as the CISO is training the board that that's not the question to ask. Right. If a board is, in fact, novice enough to say to me, are we secure? My first conversation is going to be, that's not the right question. Right. And I think that when people talk about some of these metrics about like, oh, let's show you know, numbers and measures, is they're distracted by financial reporting which is all about numbers, but those numbers actually have common meanings. Like if you look at the operating margin of a company, it doesn't matter. Like if there's a tech company, like I can look at the operating margin and I can tell you what the street thinks about the company just from looking at their operating margin. Like if you have an operating margin that's under 25%, the street thinks that you are not a growth business, you're probably commoditized, you're probably overly heavy on management and you've made a lot of bets that haven't paid off. And so you are ripe for restructuring. There you go. And so you're going to have activist investors and private equity start looking at you. Mm -hmm. If your operating margin is over like 38, 39%, certainly if it's in the 40s, on the flip side, the entire VC universe is going to look at you and say, hmm, you're a wildly profitable business making money hand over fist. Let's invest in competitors to disrupt you. Because there's a lot of margin for somebody to do this badly, but undercut you. Right. And it'll drive down your margins and maybe we'll take away a bunch of business from you, or maybe you'll buy the competitor that, you know, we funded. So the sweet spot. Sweet spot is between like, it's around between like 30, 35. Like that's a great spot to be in the high tech. Now I'm not your financial advisor. So anybody listening don't like take that and say, oh, I'm going to go invest in companies based on what Andy just said. But high level, that number means something. And it's a number that consistently means something, right? Across industries, yeah. even like across industries, like you can look at this, and yes, there's variations between manufacturing sure. and tech, and like in the restaurant world, like thirty percent operating margins would be amazing. Right. People would be like, "Oh my god, how are you possibly doing this? You can't be feeding people food." 
uh, and making 30% margins. That would be crazy. What do we do? We work our employees to the bone and then we serve you the bones. (laughs) There's your new business model. There you go. All right. So if if the board is asking, are we secure? We want to train them to ask better questions. And right. the next better question that, that that is on this list of are we compliant, I think is is not it either. I mean, are we compliant is a product management question. Yes. Like we're going to market. Have we checked the box of being compliant? That's it. Right. Like compliance is not actually a security problem. It's often given to the security practitioners, but it's a product management decision. Should we be compliant so that we can sell into a market? Right. Now, maybe security executes on that in the same way that engineering executes on features, but right. compliance is just another product feature. Right. I agree. And and I also think it, like Are We Secure, can be a distraction question where if the board is, in fact, asking that question again, the board's off base. Right. So I'm going to challenge you. If, if we've agreed that Are We Secure and Are We Compliant are the wrong questions the board should be asking, mm-hmm. have we had any significant incidences our next one. I think we can agree that that probably matters. That's something the board wants to know. I mean, it does matter. Like, what are the significant incidents? What happened? What are we doing to ensure they don't repeat? Especially with the SEC's new guidance around, you know, material incidents. Although, boy, they don't define material. And they just say, oh, go look at case law to figure out what material means. Oh, lovely. Is a uh, sort of interesting challenge there. Yeah. All right. So, So that's a question they could and should be asking, perhaps. But we're back to those first two. Are we compliant? Are we secure? If we don't want the board asking those two questions, what two questions do we want the board asking in lieu of those two? So the one that I wish every board would ask, and nobody is going to because of personal liability, is explain to me the most significant risks that we're accepting. That's it. That's it. Because you have to accept something. Yeah, of course. So what what is the something? And that tells me where the company has drawn the line and I can decide if you have effective governance based on where you drew the line. Back to board's mission number one. Is yep. the governance, is the fiduciary responsibility, is it what it should be for this right. organization? Yeah. The problem is, if you gave that answer and said, well, here's the biggest risks that we're not yet mitigating, or we're slowly mitigating because like, we're willing to tolerate it, but not for much longer, you're going to have board members who are going to say, well, I need to see a timeline for when that's going to be fixed in the next 12 months. The CEO is going to pressure you to half-ass a solution just to get it rolled out so you can claim this one's fixed. And now the board doesn't actually know where your risk tolerance level is as a business. This is one of those moments where if you do actually ask the right question as the board, and the CISO is, in fact, able to answer that question honestly and accurately, Mm -hmm. you've almost forced their hand into an operational situation. And that's the one flaw, I think, in this this. Right. Well, the, the, because it's going to be their reflex, they're going to want to fix it. And this mm-hmm. is one of the biggest leadership failures at all levels. It's not just boards do it. It took me a long time to realize I'd have this. I'd have somebody who'd come to me on my team and they'd say, hey, Andy, I want to just let you know about an issue. Right. And they'd start telling me the issue and I would start telling them how to solve the problem. Because in my mind, that's my job. If you have an issue, I will fix it for you. Right. And it took a while and, and, you know, some some upwards management from people who worked for me to realize that, no, 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 this was, they could see that it was possible this would become an issue on my radar in the future. And they wanted to be the ones to tell me, but that they currently wanted to try. They thought they had a path to deal with this. But in case it blew up, they didn't want me surprised. Right. And that's all it is. Just like, an FYI. Here's what's going a, on. Not a plea for help. Right. Not a plea for help. And that's what we need to get to is that in that room, in the same way that the CFO sits there and they talk about risks, like they talk about foreign currency headwinds. And here's what might happen if Forex doesn't go in the direction that we anticipate. And here's this litany of risks that we accept as a business. And And we might hedge them. Yeah. And the board rarely intervenes operationally on that report. That's the interesting thing to me. Cyber is still, I think, so new. Right. That that we're not boards know how to behave around financial risk statements, real ones. Yes. But they don't know how to behave around real cyber risk statements, which is an interesting statement in its own right. Well, and let's be honest, security professionals suck at writing cyber risk statements. Oh, I would agree. I would agree. So we're chicken littles. We we talk about how awful it is. In fact, uh, in one of my day jobs, we're working on building an, an ROI calculator for prospects. 
And okay. we're literally building it because in many companies, if there is not an ROI calculation done, you just can't make a purchase. It's like another right. check the box exercise. You've got to send this to procurement to say, here's why I picked this one. Right. And so, of course, there's things like here's the ROI against doing it yourself, against all of the competitive solutions, against things that aren't really competitive. And then, of course, there's the return on security investment. How much risk will we reduce? Right. And I had to sit there and be like, like, you can't claim to be like have a 10x return on security investment in a year. Like, that's just not plausible. Like, I can see how you got to that using industry standard numbers like this. There was no magic here. Right. Nobody was trying to cheat. It was literally, well, we took 15 various reports from you know, everybody from you know Pokemon to Gartner. Right. And put them together. And here's what we got. I looked at that and said, but this is what security does wrong. We claim that like the world will end if we don't buy this tool. We, we claim several things too that are precursors to that even. We yep. claim that we can measure the value of every asset. Oh, we claim that we can measure, measure the, the impact of every risk. We claim that we can measure the efficacy of every control. And we claim that yep. we can tie all three of those together into a true and proper analysis of profit, loss, win, lose, whatever you want to describe it as, security math. And here's where I continue my tradition. I mean, I've only done it once, but now I'll do it twice of saying at some point I should come back here so I can tell you everything that is wrong about FAIR. <laughs> I've had two very strong FAIR ad advocates on the show, interestingly, and I'm teetering on that one. And this is a quick sideline for our listeners. I haven't embraced fair yet. I haven't not embraced fair yet. I see its intended purpose. I get the nobility of its vision. I'm not so sure the execution is there in a rubber meets the road way for me in my world as a CISO. I'm not willing to pick on it any further than that. But let's uh, let's table that one. We'll we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely we'll do that we, one later. We should get into that one for sure. Yeah. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M-O-N-E. Okay, so are we secure? Are we compliant? Not the right questions. The right question is, what's the biggest risk we're carrying, right? That's the right yep. questions. All right. Yeah. Plus, it actually lets you know how well your CISO can talk about risk. Yes. Can they have that conversation without freaking out or trying to freak you out? Just to say, yeah. here's one of our biggest risks. We have to have it. Like, we can't be in business without this risk. Right. Like, I'm reminded, we had, we had products at Akamai that were predicated on the fact that we had customers who wanted to buy a risky product. Yes. Like they wanted FTP uploads, plain text FTP uploads. We had customers who wanted that. We were the last people on the planet, I think, to support that at scale. Right. Until we finally said, you know, enough for us, like this risk is too high. But that was on our list of like, here's really annoying risks that we just have to accept as a business because the moment we turn this off, here's exactly how much revenue we lose. Right. This is this is one of my mantras. There will be times as a CISO, emphasis on the C, yep. um, that you're going to have to make decisions on behalf of the business that are quote unquote anti-security decisions. Mm -hmm. And you have to be okay with that as a CISO. Right. It will happen. I actually think that you're never making an anti-security decision. Security is an input to a decision. Our job is to help people make wiser risk choices. Right. But our businesses exist to take risk. That's it. So that they can profit. Yep. And the CISO's model is, I'm here to eliminate risk. And the answer is no, you don't eliminate risk. First of all, you can't. Sam Peltzman, I think, did a great job of explaining risk homeostasis or risk compensation, however you want to think about it, which is people basically have a set point of risk they're going to accept. Take some away, they will go get more. Right. So your job is to take away the risk that is not profitable, that's dead weight on the business so that they can go take better risks. I love it. But here's the biggest challenge. If there's risks that they don't know they're taking, it doesn't go into their equation. But if you point it out to them and then immediately remove it, you make them feel safer than they were. And now they go take even more risks than they were before 
but they weren't accounting for this risk in their model. Like yep. you can create really weird dynamics yep. at, with how the, people think about risk if you're not careful. And at the intersection of risk and business, what a CISO should be doing is shining a light on the risk. Yeah. But working as a business leader, as one of the voices in the business to accept, manage, mitigate, whatever the choice is, based on, as you said, direct impact to the business. There are yep. risks you are going to accept. There are risks you should not accept. And the criteria for what you should and shouldn't accept is not tied up in, uh, and we'll get into this in a moment in some of the rest of this article, but, you know, value of IT assets and and these kinds of, like, IT assets have absolutely nothing to do with a CISO, in my opinion. Nothing. IT, IT assets have no value. They, they have no value in and of themselves. They're nothing more than tools that service other purposes, and those purposes might have value. And yep. to your point, they may be profitable purposes. They may be non-profitable or unprofitable purposes. Mm -hmm. Right, and but the so, moment you buy an asset, it's a cost. Yes, yes. But what is it used for? I, I bought a hammer. Why? Because I got a boatload of nails I need to hammer. Great. I bought a hammer. Yep. Why? Because I got a bunch of screws. I wait a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a useless asset. The point is, we've got these questions that we want to ask, right? Yeah. And the how effective and how efficient are we? You know, he he immediately goes into from here the metrics categories, and his first one is IT assets. Like we said, yep. An IT asset, so, in in my mind, literally has nothing to do with the CISO's role. Right. If a CISO is talking in terms of IT assets, the CISO has already lost the game. So. Yes and no. So here's a place where I actually think IT assets, and I hate IT as an asset. Um, right. Let's just talk about you know technology assets. I'm if I'm responsible for cybersecurity versus physical security, I should be able to articulate that I know what all my assets are. Like I am mm -hmm. responsible for all of this stuff. Right? Can I demonstrate that I know what my stuff is? So if you come to my talk at RSA, I guess I'm shameless plugging my talk at RSA Wednesday morning. So for those of you who are not hung over from Tuesday parties, you can come find me you know, wherever it is. The first thing that I say you need to do is just write down a list of your types of assets. Don't even get to your asset count yet. Right. Just but the do types. you know all of the groups that manage assets and what their asset categories are? So I've got cloud assets. I've got stuff in AWS and in GCP and in Azure and in Oracle Cloud and wherever I've got that stuff, you know, I've got enterprise systems, I've got servers, I've got desktops, I've got laptops, I've got routers, I've got stupid badges, readers, and door wizards. Do you know what they all are? Because if you don't, that demonstrates that you don't have sufficient coverage to understand risk. Sure. That's sure. it. And then I like to, a metric I like, and you don't have to show it to the board, although they would like to see it, is just what's the count of assets? You don't have to like go any deeper than that, but what's the count? And then your internal measurement should be how hard is it to get that number? Right, right. Like, is there just a, an API you can pull and you update the number for like public cloud? Totally can do that. Yeah. But is this something I'd go send somebody to do detective work for six weeks to get a number? Right. Because if so, that probably means there's awful governance all downstream of that. Right, right. Do I need workers right. with spreadsheets or or can I can I? Pull an API. So, yep. so my comment about IT assets, you're, you're already in the wrong camp when a CISO even brings that up. The the reason, and I'm and I'm with you on, you know, you're you're espousing the model that I stole from uh, Steve Williams over at NTT Data. He he calls it a uh, see it, manage it, secure it. Right? Yep. If you can't see it, you can't manage it. You can't manage it, you can't secure it. Obviously, in that context, assets matter, right? When I'm when I'm yep. saying CISO should not be talking about IT assets, we're talking specifically about board reporting here. Right. And I am not going to go before the board and say IT anything. The, the, right. the IT, the initials, will not appear in my yeah, mouth. Yeah, no, that I agree with. Me, right? Yeah. And when we talk about assets, I'm not talking about the value of an IT asset. I don't care about no. the value of an IT asset. Back to the hammer no. and screw metaphor, I care about the purpose of an IT asset. Because an right. IT asset is nothing more than a tool that in turn the job. serves some function of information. I am a chief information security officer, not a chief asset security officer. And yeah, so there was there was a school of thought, and I, I don't know if this author on this one actually was one of the people who first mentioned it to me, that basically said, if you don't know what the value of data is, just use the value of the asset you store it in, because it can't be worth more than that asset. <laughs> or maybe it can't be worth less. I don't recall. It's one of, but I'm like, this is the craziest thing. Like, I bought a piece of hardware, like the value of what's on that hardware, like my laptop only cost me $1,000. It has some, it, well, it no longer has the only place, but it was the only computing asset I had 
there's more than a thousand dollars worth of assets. Exactly. You know, exactly. For me there. We're here to protect information and data. And the information and data's value is directly proportionate to that back to your model of profitability, non-profitability. And the IT yeah. asset is nothing more than a tool that helps carry or store that information. And that's why at the board level, I don't talk assets. Yeah, information even is almost too narrow of a proxy. And I'm reminded of the airline industry. Mm -hmm. If you, when you talk about assets, what are the assets of an airline? Airplanes and people. Right. And fuel. But when you talk about risk for an airline, what, what language do airlines use? It's all about uh, accidents and death and safety and... Souls. You know, plane went down, 75 souls aboard. Right. Like the only thing they seriously worry about in the safety world is killing people. Right. But those people, like you mentioned people as an asset, but like in an asset register, you would never think of writing that down. Right. Asset driven security is like lazy. Yes. The hard is unacceptable losses. Like, so if you wanted to talk about like, what are my IT assets? You should talk about what are my unacceptable losses? What is awful? Like right. information? No, like we have customers whose data is entrusted to us. Like we're a healthcare provider. Unacceptable would be publishing sensitive health information about specific human beings in a way that puts them at risk. There you go. Right? Now you have an unacceptable loss. And that's like an information die. statement, not an asset statement. Right. And you can talk about the assets. You can talk about the fact that that information you're not wanting to disclose is now in a database, and that database happens to be in an S3 bucket, and that S3 bucket happens to have credentials in the clear, and da da da. And you can go right. down the rabbit hole of the IT conversation. But at the board level, I don't want my board asking about, talking about, thinking about IT assets. I don't want that right. entering the conversation at all. The, the closest you should get to... Uh, IT assets is you should talk about w ways of the business operating. And mm -hmm. so this is the thing I did and I, and I tried to do it offline. Like new board member came in, they got like a 14 page guide from me. Okay. That was like, let me explain to you our business so that you understand that we're not like any company you have ever been on the board of before. Here's what makes us different. When I talk about systems, Here's the types of systems. We have a production network. Here's how it operates. Here's what it does. Informational background. We have an enterprise system. Like, so here's the language I'm going to use. So if you ask me a question and I say, oh, in our production network, go point back to this document and I'll always quick reference it. And that's about as deep as you should get to recognize that if you're a complex business, it is reasonable to say, hey, we've got public cloud. We've got employee laptops. So when you come in and you say, oh, are we doing MFA? I'm going to have to give you an answer for every category because right. recognize I'm really seven different technology companies. Right, right. That have been stitched together. And if I only answer it for one, these other six, you might want to know what's going on. Why didn't I bother answering over right. there? Domains, if you will. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, I love domains as a, a way to think about domains. That. That's, that's it. All right. So his next one on the metrics and categories we get into here is usage activity. This and, is an operations problem, not a security problem. And not a board level conversation. Again. Yeah. Usage activity. I'm like, okay, I, that one confused me. That one completely confused me. I, I tried my best to reach my brain out and understand where we're talking about it. He gets into ratios later about intended usage versus non-intended usage. And yeah. And there's a miss. There were a couple that I thought, oh, that would be interesting, but I have no idea how to. This is like, you know, unicorn farts type of metrics. That was it. That's where I got to with that one, too, was, OK, I yep. get what you're saying. If, if we could actually capture and measure all intended activity and then yeah. capture and measure all unintended activity and then do a ratio of those two, even if we could measure those two things and even if we could develop that ratio, we're back to the same problem we have when we have quote unquote metrics of things like, well, the antivirus blocked 475,000 viruses last month. Okay. So what is that? What can I do with that information? Is that a good number? Is that a bad number? Can I affect or change that number? When Akamai was first out selling CDNs and we'd go to like talk to security teams who had concerns. And I was worried that they were concerned about like, we're going to be moving your information and like, we're the front end. We have access to all of your public information. The yeah. biggest concern I had that reasons companies, security teams did not want to use us 
is because all of the port scans would now hit us instead of their firewall, and they could no longer report on that activity. <laughs> like, wait, I have an effective control that is effective whether it's like being attacked once or a million times. Why do I care how many times like ineffective attacks are happening? Like, I should care that they are happening, and I know it, but that's it. Somebody reported it. It became a number. It became unexpected to see on the chart number. I would have probably two or three a month customer calls with a security team, and that was their biggest objection, was they would no longer be able to report on port scans. Interesting. Okay. So I have this definition that I, I have metric versus measurement. Yep. A measurement is any random number. Andy is six feet tall. My computer is 13 inches wide. You know, mm -hmm. uh, this thing weighs five pounds. That sort Wait, of thing. Your computer is only 13. Oh, your laptop. Sorry. It's my laptop. I'm sitting looking here. at my monitor. And I'm like, yeah. how would you work on 13 right? inches? No, I'm, I'm in my booth on my little laptop here. The point is it's a measurement. It's a number. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's a number that means something in the sense of without a number, I don't know what I'm looking at. Now I have a number. Great. Yep. I know what I'm looking at. But the difference between that and a metric a metric is a measurement you can do something about. Yeah. To say that my notebook is 14 inches is to say what? Is that good? Is that bad? Right. Can I offer a friendly amendment to your metric? Sure. A metric is a hypothesis that has been tested. I make a hypothesis that says mm. all of my monitors should be at least 14 inches. And okay. now my metric is me testing that and saying, oh, I have five that are not at 14 inches. But again... Is it good or is it bad is the first pass. Like, if you can't tell if it's good or bad, yeah, yeah, but if you can't tell if it's good or bad, to me, that's not a metric. And then the second one I, is, what can I do about it? Can I do anything about it? If if I'm going to yep. simply report a statistic every month that says some of them were 14, some of them were 13, some of them were 16, some of them were 14, some of them were 13, what do I care? What can I do about it? I need right. to know if it's good or bad, and then I need to know what I can do about it. Because if it is bad, I want to reduce it. And if it is good, I want to increase it. And I think, I think a big piece of a, of a good metric is that you have to have a time scale yes. for it. Yes. Like I always love when, when I talk to people who are trying to like put into their security product, because since I work a lot with product companies and they want to have a metric that like gets to zero or to 100%. Right. And I'm like, that's never going to happen. Like right. it's reasonable to say, oh, look, if you're at 50% now, we'll be at 60% by the end of the year. You're not going to be at a hundred percent. Right. It's not going to happen. Yep. So the metric has to have a way of saying, like, are you making good progress mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's understandable, right? So that's yep. part of the hypothesis, which is, oh, we can improve this by 10% this year. Right. Great. That's a right. hypothesis at the end of the year. Okay. Let's test our hypothesis. All right. I get, I get it. I get the hypothesis model. I, I still maintain we have to have targets and goals and intention yep. and the ability to change where the hypothesis is useless, right? So I think it's yep. all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. But either way, it's not, hey, gee, my antivirus blocked 4,738. That's a measurement, not a metric. So yep. so I think this usage activity becomes one of those scenarios. And if you can get into that ratio, now maybe you've got your hypothesis. But again, what's good, what's bad, and how can I affect it remain off the table. So I'm not calling that one a real metric. Yep, I'm good with that. All right. Process controls such as vulnerability management. I put in JML, joiners, movers, levers. I think he used a different term in his article, um, incident response, et cetera. Process controls. What metrics, again, am I reporting around my various process controls? And yeah. how operational a statement is that to, again, put in front of a board whom we're trying desperately to steer away from operational impulses? Oh, man. So so let's take vulnerability management. And only because I just did a demo version of my talk for RSA, which includes, like, what is wrong with vulnerability management reporting? Okay. So in your world, you've seen lots of vulnerability management reporting metrics, sure. right? It's often things like average age of open vulnerabilities. Yep. Maybe mean time to remediate is yep. sometimes in there. Mean time to close. You know, time to close. So a bunch time of these, you know, how many. I always, actually, I always love how many, because here's my question. If Microsoft on Patch Tuesday releases a bundle of 10 vulnerabilities that apply to all 100 of your Windows servers. Mm-hmm. How many vulnerabilities is that? Every system is, is different. One? No, no. Let's assume that they're actually all the same system. Like you've got 100 Windows servers. Yep. Let's just make this really simple. And I've got 10 patches that are all fixed by the same point release that yep. I just have to release to 100 machines. Is that one vulnerability? Is it 10? 
Is it a hundred or is it a thousand? Because all of those are defensible numbers. I would, I would go with a thousand on that one, honestly. Right. Then most people would, right? Oh, it's a thousand vulnerabilities that it happens to be that I can push one button in my console and fix a thousand. Woohoo. But how do you compare that thousand vulnerabilities to individual app level vulnerabilities on a thousand different servers that are all unique vulnerabilities and all have to be patched differently. Right. Better yet, it's your own CICD, you know, and, and it's all right. stuff that somebody's going to have to stop and write code to address. Stop and write code. There are so, yeah. but even if I said they were even CVEs, that's still like an interesting problem. So vulnerability management is almost all these weird aggregate effort measures. And so think about if you reported average age of open vulnerabilities. Okay. Now that number is should light is probably always going to go up. Right. You know, unless you were doing badly and now you've at least moved up a maturity level. But once you're stable, this number only increases over time. Right. You just can't keep up because your systems are growing and things are happening. Right. So what happens? So you're in this sort of steady state, things are slowly going up, average age of open vulnerabilities, and log four J drops. And now you've added an additional vulnerability on 50 apps on every one of your servers. Right. Is your world better or worse? I would argue it's worse. Right. But the average age of open vulnerabilities in your environment. Log4j has only been out for half a day. Half a day. It just went down. You look fantastic yep. because it looks like you cleaned up this long tail. And then when you fix log4j and prioritize it over everything else, the average age goes back up. Right. You look awful. We're, we're back to measurement, not metrics. How, how do right. I impact it and what does good and bad mean? It's, it's so an arbitrary I have, number. I have two metrics for vulnerability management that nobody uses because they're complicated to measure, but they're both around SLAs. Okay. So presumably for every vulnerability, you have a policy yes. that says this is the SLA for fixing this vulnerability. If critical fixed by, if high fixed by, if medium fixed right. by. And maybe it's also by system. If critical yeah. on a PCI covered system, it's three days, but critical on a non-PCI system is 14. Whatever there your you numbers go. are. There you go. So you've got this grid of SLAs. So how often do you meet your SLA? This is your fir first metric yeah. is simply that what percentage of the time. And I would argue that it should probably be a server based metric for every system that you have. How many days is it within SLA that there are no vulnerabilities currently on that system? So across a quarter, okay, it achieves that on 75% of the days. Yep. So you end up more with a heat map than a ratio. And then you could aggregate across all of your servers and say, like, you know, how many servers on each day, however you want to do it. Yeah. Now, that's the first metric. But you always have to ask, how will people game the metric? Well, let's assume that I've got a vulnerability that's got a 30-day SLA, and I'm the engineering manager, and I get to day 28, and I'm not going to fix it by day 30. What do I do? I ask for an exception. Right. And the SLA policy allows exceptions. So that's your second metric. How many exceptions were invoked? Not just how many were invoked, how many were invoked within the second half of the SLA window. If you had 30 days oh. and you invoked the SLA <laughs> exception in the first 15 days, then we got to make a legitimate business decision about whether to disrupt your release pipeline or fix this now. Right. If you waited until day 28, you were forcing me to give you an exception. Right. And so, like, all you're doing is trying to game my metric. So those are my two metrics for vulnerability. They're both effectiveness of a program. Right. So I, I did like the how effective is our program. Yes. But this is how you measure it. You say, I have a set of controls, and here is how often our controls work. That's right. it. Right. I'm not going to tell you how they work in the yeah. detail. You don't need to see my process controls. Right. You just need to see how often my process works. And, and this is back to, again, our original statement of what is a board there to do, to ensure that the governance fiduciary responsibility are yep. what they say they are and are happening the way they say. Yeah. So if I tell you I've got an SLA for patch management, you should ask, how often do you meet your SLA? That's it. And you it. should know, and here's what nobody knows, what actually is an industry norm for meeting that SLA? There isn't one. There isn't one. I have talked to a lot of CISOs and nobody has, and if look, if you're out there and you hear this and you're like, but Andy, I know, well, CSO Andy on Twitter, or if you're in a Slack with me, find me. I would love to hear if you believe there's an industry norm 
yeah, for I, how often we, people actually meet SLA. I don't think there is, but I would argue in every single shop I've been in, and I've been around the block, Yep. I would argue that SLAs get violated at least 30, 40% of the time in the good shops. Yep. So it's going to be a very low score, whatever that standard is. And that standard won't come about until more people adopt your idea, more of us start using it, and then we can actually start comparing notes. But I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm supporting and endorsing the Andy Ooh, SLA I love model. that. Then I guess I, I succeeded at meeting the uh, the hype that you gave me at the beginning of a unique perspectives on the fundamentals of cyber. There we shock go. Shock your brain. There we go. Shocking my brain. All right. Real time controls, anti malware, firewall, email security. This is that. This is that. My antivirus blocked a hundred viruses thing. I don't care. I don't want I, this in I, front I, of a board. I don't want to measure this as a efficacy is one thing. And efficacy, again, back to our metrics versus measurement, is about ratios, is about knowing what good and bad are, and is about what can I control, contain, and manipulate, right? Yep. All of this to me just says measurement, 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 measurement. And and you know what the worst part about these? I'm, I'm reading those three specific ones. Yeah. These are all measures of Band-Aid controls put over really crappy system design. And I'm sorry, I'm being a little profane today. You know, when we talk about email security, we're really taught, like, let's be honest, what everybody was talking about there is we're going to report how often people clicked phishing links. Right. Right. That's, that's the metric that's going to show up. Right. Well, guess what? People will click links because they don't get paid if they don't click links. It is that simple. Yep. The problem is not the person clicking the link. It's the fact that you give them the worst designed piece of software from a security perspective ever, which is email. Yeah. Right. I've got an email client. Somebody can email me and claim to be Alan Alford. And unless I'm willing to spend a bunch of time on every single email, mm -hmm. my mail client will cause me to believe that it is the same person as you. Yep. I'm going to send you a link because I'm Alan and here's this funny link. Andy, check this thing out. It's an adorable uh, orca swimming in the water. For me and you, like we share a Slack. So you sent me the links in a Slack and you sent yep. me a Word doc in a Slack. I mean, come yep. on, Alan, a Word doc this day and age. But you can't expect me not to click stuff. I can't get my job done if I don't click stuff. Right. Email security is an awful thing to report because what you're really saying is right. my employees are stupid and my job is to try to keep stupid people from hurting the company. You're not aligned with the business if you believe that. The reality is the demands on the people are stupid. The people are the making systems we gave them do. are stupid. Yeah. And the people are making right? do with what they've been handed. So for me on that one, and I've said this before on the show, I only report positives when it comes to any kind of anti-phishing training. I want to yeah. know, did I in induce and instill some proper paranoia in people? And did people get suspicious and report things? Yes. Let's report yes. on how many people reported and suspected things, not how many right. people clicked the bad thing. Because every time you do a phishing training, the marketing department is going to turn right around and have some third-party SaaS app that sends marketing info under their name, but it isn't really them, with a clickable link that they're insisting that the company click on. And as soon as they're done with it, HR will do the exact same thing. And even the impersonation factor is there. Yeah, I convince all those folks in the company that before you send one of those, like if you're going to send a company-wide survey out, you're the head of HR, the first thing that you do is you send email to the entire company. You're about to receive says, you're X. about to receive this. And that was a norm for us. Yes, that's that's what I we got. We train people. Yes. And my favorite thing, is, and we did, like, we had this social engineering mailing list that every company, I think most people do this wrong. You send phishing reports and social engineering reports to the security team who decides what to do with it. We just sent it to anybody in the company who wanted to see it. If you had a publicly facing phone number, you had to be on the list. Everybody else could opt in. And so you would literally say, I think I just was social engineered. Or I got a phone call pretending to be the CEO and people would like peer help each other. The security team didn't have to do anything. It was great training. But the best part about this mailing list is whenever the IT team would do like this phishing simulation, within about five minutes of it starting, the employee base had self-defended. Nice. They picked it apart and they said, here's what's going on. By the way, we're pretty sure this is our, the vendor because the domain they're using is owned by the same company that owned the last one that was a phishing training. <laughs> you know, like it was amazing to watch non-security folks reverse engineer these attacks. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is what and if I'd want. been clever, I'd have said, you know, let's, let's report to the board how fast we get out company-wide notification without the security team being involved. Right. 
Like the security team is consciously not part not helping these users. So they're helping themselves. That would have been a great metric to just not to be in my regular reporting, but to just sort of highlight, like, here's how good we are. We have enabled our users to self-protect the company. I love it. That's all about a real metric about building security culture. Yep. It's something you're measuring. It's something that you know what good and bad look like. It's something you have a target and it's something you can change. You want to see right. that number climb, 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 climb. And I'm a big fan of anecdata. Like it's reasonable to have things that are not metrics that are just anecdata. But I'm saying, okay. hey, let me tell you this thing that's evidence that I'm good. It's not evidence that I'm perfect. Right. But it's just evidence that I've got a good culture. Yep. People do this. That's that's evidence. I'm done. I don't have to go yep. and do too heavyweight measurement on it. Okay. Because part of the joy here is I don't have to measure stuff that goes to that mailing list. Like they just self-deal with it. The company handles it. You know, we would even tell people when you report to this mailing list, CC the person who was being pretexted. So if somebody called you pretending to be the CEO. Yeah. Then CC the CEO. Yeah. And like, it was hard to get this across to people that this was okay. Cause you know what the CEO would do? They would say, thank you. That wasn't me. And I would never call you cause I have an admin. Right. Right. And everybody's like, oh, that's right. The CEO is never going to call me out of the blue and ask for so-and-so's phone number. And then right. the, you know, I don't know, since I created that mail, it's like 15 odd years. I was there once we had one false report where it was a, actually an employee of the company, a sales rep who had a meeting with the head of sales, who got off a plane, was coming to our sales kickoff meeting, what, her phone had died on the airplane, didn't have a charger, was gonna be late to the meeting, and so walked to a payphone back when you could find them. Right. Called the only number she had memorized, which was our customer care line, and asked for the cell phone of the head of sales. Okay. And was told no. Nope. And, you know, mail goes out to everybody, including her, right? So CC's her, CC's the head of sales, who actually said, no, yeah, I've got a meeting with her. That's really weird that the pretexter knew this, but her phone doesn't work. So she doesn't know. She shows up at sales kickoff and I run into her because I know her. And I'm like, yeah, Melly, this was kind of funny. Somebody pretended to be you today. And she's like, that was me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> but guess what? They did the right thing. And she's like, I know I can't be mad at them. I'm mad at me. That's hysterical. 15 yep. years. That was the only time that it was a legitimate call. That's awesome. The only false positive. Speaking of false positives, we have got still a whole section on metrics that provide good insight into the enterprise security program. We've got a whole section yep. on cost value metrics, and we are already at the uh, 45 minute mark here. We've already gone long. There's a whole bunch of other ones here. We could, we could even do a second show and dive into this one in detail if you're up for it. Oh, absolutely. All right, then we'll continue this one. We'll call this one part one of the board reporting metrics debate dialogue. What are we having here? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. It feels more like we're ganging up on somebody. So it's maybe the, the bully pulpit. The bully pulpit. There we go. The the board reporting bully pulpit. And we didn't name the author of the article. We wanted to be kind. And, and I honestly didn't come into this with a whole, I'm going to tear this guy's article apart. But the more I thought about it, the less I liked what he was putting out there in terms of board metrics. And, and I think it's not uncommon. I think that there is a lot of thought that goes into these things. And I think a lot yep. of it is traditional thought that a lot of folks have carried. He's not the only one who thinks some of these no. things are valuable. He's not the only one who thinks some of these things are measurable. And he's not the only one who thinks some of what's measurable is metrics. These are all very common traps. Yeah, there are no good metrics that are standardized. So None. people are struggling to find something good because we're all drowning under bad metrics. Yep. So the fact that you proposed some metrics that I think are bad is at least helps us figure out some more things that are bad that maybe we can narrow down the field for good. F full agreement. And to that point, I, I was telling a story earlier today. I was on an advisory board exercise, 10 CISOs, very good CISOs. A lot of these folks are very smart, very respected, very known in the industry. I'm not going to name them, but if I drop their names, you'd be like, oh, that guy. 10 CISOs who were all tasked with, bring us your board report, and we'll all show each other our board reports. <laughs> all 10 were completely different. Yep. Nobody even right. had agreement as to like wall of words versus graphs and charts. Nobody had agreement as to number of slides. Nobody had agreement as to, I mean, so this idea that we can sit down and, and have a metrics conversation that's like, oh, we're all on the same page. We all know what the right metrics are. If we can't even agree what the basic board reporting rules are, how many slides, whether it's words, graphs, charts, measurements, numbers, some people use maturity, some don't, some do this, some don't. 
then of course we're not going to agree on metrics. So right. I definitely don't want to pick on anybody that's putting articles out there. I don't want to pick on anybody who's deconstructing and thinking these things through. I'm just kind of using it as a launch pad for my own cockamamie ideas. And, uh, and I brought you on because I know you've always got some crazy ones too. And, uh, so far, I think we're getting somewhere with this. So let's carry this on into a second show. Yeah, I love it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I got one last question for this show that I got to ask every guest, which is, what is something you have learned outside of cybersecurity that has helped you in cybersecurity? So I'm going to tell a cybersecurity story and then tell you what I learned from outside it that was helpful. Okay. I was talking to somebody who is the CISO of a trading house, and their biggest problem was that all of the traders wrote their passwords down and gave them to their administrative staff. Ooh. Right. And they were freaking out about it. And I used to work at Disneyland. For those who don't know, I was a costume issue. I gave people their clothing before and after their shift. And normally this meant the people came to one of our facilities. We had like main issue that did most of the clothing. We had character issue that gave it out to characters and you had to come to our building and get your clothing. And we had this whole system for doing it unless you were Tinkerbell. Mm -hmm. Those of you who don't know, after the electric light parade, and I don't know if they still do it, uh, Tinkerbell is on a wire and flies from the Matterhorn over to Frontierland and like disappears into the trees. It's a trapeze artist who's like hooked to a harness on a guy wire. During the daytime, you can see the wire coming okay. off the top of the Matterhorn. Well, Tinkerbell was a mother and daughter who did it. They're both aerialists, you know, and they did this. And this was their only thing. They literally showed up. You know, went to the top of the Matterhorn, hopped on, waited for their cue, slid over, slammed into a stack of mattresses, I'm not joking, walked down and left the park. So my job was to go meet Tinkerbell as she came off of this. And she would literally strip down right there. She's wearing a unitard underneath, you know, don't get any clever thoughts, hand me the now soiled costume. And I would hand her the clean one for her next gig. She was the only person who got to take her costume away off the park that I knew of. There were probably other people too. So she had a unique thing around what she did because she was paid a lot more than I was. Okay. And her time was way more valuable than mine. And so I was her support staff doing things she was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So why did the traders give their passwords to their administrative staff? Because the trader walked in and was not going to waste 30 minutes logging in and dealing with whatever software updates or whatever had to happen their administrative staff was responsible for dealing with all of that because the trader came in and all they did was trades. Yep. And so you needed to design a system that understood that these two people were really one person. Yep. And it was fine that you didn't have providence. You didn't know which one did a thing. The real answer was if it wasn't a trade, it was the administrative staff that did it. Right. The accountability is still technically there. Yeah, like you have to accept that's the way the business operates and people who are paid an arm and a leg, the right thing for you to do as a security person, as a manager, as whatever, is figure out how to stop giving them low value work that occupies their time. Right. It's another good life lesson in CISO, not as the office of no, but CISO as business enabler, yep. business accelerator, business, you know, be the Teflon, not the frying pan. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> All right. Well, Andy Ellis, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. This has been a crazy conversation. We're going to pick this one up and do a part two. I promise listeners, this is going to be a good one. Hang with us here. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>